This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha and Gavern's deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast for the 700th time. I'm your head number one. My name is Matt Baum and Joe, is it just me or do we not look a day over 600? Uh, speak for yourself. I'm your head number two, the internet's Joe Patrick, and I feel at least 1,400 after this many damn shows. And to be clear... This is far more than the seven. Yeah, we were just talking about we it. We welcome them to the podcast. And there's no way, <laughs> there's no way we haven't done more than a thousand episodes. I'm saying that right now. In this episode, we're back to reviewing new comics from the past two Wednesdays. And after that, we'll tell you listeners about our must-read new comic picks for next week, April 19th. Finally, we'd normally give you a taste of our Patreon Extra, but today we're going to revisit our very first episode of the show to see if we've gotten any better at this at all after 700 damn episodes. But first, it's the 700th review time in the cigarette! New comic book day has come and gone, leaving us with a pile of 12 comics to review. In fact, two new comic book days have come and gone. It's true. This episode's pile has haunted cats, Dogs of War, and Trashy Rabbits, but it all starts off with some damn dirty apes. A lot of animal stuff this week. We got an animal theme going for 700. Unintentional, yeah. I assure you. Matt, lead us off. New Comic Book Day, Wednesday, April 5th. We begin with the first of Marvel's 20th Century Comics, Planet of the Apes, number one from Marvel. It's $4.99. It's written by David Walker with art by Dave Wachter. David and David teaming up, finally. Here is your the, the two Daves. Yeah, the Daves. A new era of apes kicks off with part one of de-evolution. The ALZ-113 virus has rampaged across planet Earth and humanity is crumbling. While well-meaning researchers hunt for a cure, a fanatical group of humans has their own solution. Kill all the apes! That makes sense, right? Peacekeeper Juliana Tobone is one of the few willing to stand against them, but the crisis is spreading and soon apes will witness the true depths of human cruelty. Eisner-winning writer David F. Walker, who worked on Luke Cage, and Bitter Root joins forces with Dave Wachter, who worked on Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon, Star Wars The High Republic, and Trail of Shadows on one of the most beloved sci-fi franchises in history. Eh, get out of here. It, it, you can't argue that. I mean, it, it, I, it is. <laughs> I'm not taking that away from it. All I'm right. just saying I don't really care about Planet of the Apes. sit here and listen to this garbage out of you. Not I on just our, don't really care about the Planet of the Apes. Not on our 700th birthday. If Marvel's new Planet of the Apes book has anything holding it back, it might be the why now factor. The story, yeah. the story picks up after Matt Reeves' latest Rise of the Planet of the Apes film and shows the further degradation of human society as they misplace blame for the, quote, simian flu, and the apes continue to build their own society. Walker's story follows the same kind of slow burn sci-fi formula that made Reeves' modern adaptation of the movie so successful, and it does so with really great results. When working in slow burn comics of any kind, you got to have great art, and Walker is no slouch here. You can tell he studied his simians, and he's amazing at drawing all of them with the same personality as his human characters. 
There's some wonderful splash pages that stand out. One is taken directly from the fight scene on the Golden Gate Bridge from Rise of the Planet of the Apes movie. And Wachter is able to capture all the rage and violence in that scene. Why now and not when the last films were premiering? It's hard to know how these comic book film rights adaptations work, but this creative team is off to a great start adapting one of sci-fi's longest running and, like they said, most beloved properties, whether Joe Patrick likes it or not. I'm giving this (laughs) a buy it. Look, I'm not a Scrooge about it. I just, I was a Star Trek kid. I was a Star Wars kid. Sure. I was a futuristic technology kind of guy. Like, I Planet of the Apes, I understand that people love it. I understand why people love it. It just wasn't something that I gravitated towards as a child. It was future monkey fantasy. That's why you weren't into it, because it was fantasy. I mean, it's it's still sci-fi, but I it's... I guess, but there's no... Know, it's, no gadgets, it's no dystopian, ships, no lasers. It's dystopian, collapsed society yeah. sci-fi. Right, yeah. exactly. There's no... There's no, um, yeah, no ray guns, right? And but I recognize the fact that this is a good comic, and I actually do enjoy the Matt Reeves movies, like the updated, rebooted version that kind of shows the collapse of humanity that leads to the apocalyptic future where the Statue of Liberty is in the sand and all that crap. This is great. The art is wonderful. Um, will I keep reading it? I don't know, but I did really like this first issue and I thought that it did a fantastic job. Like you said, kind of drawing from those, uh, Matt Reeves movies. And also it doesn't punishing, it doesn't punish you if you haven't seen them. So this is a buy-in for me. It, it's a good first issue with great art. Dave Wachter is a tremendous artist. He really is. I we'll see how this sells. I'm really curious. I we'll, we'll see how this sells. I too am very curious because I cannot imagine. I don't know. I honestly, there are people beating the door down for planet of the. Uh, yeah. Now. It seems like a weird timing, but I think they got a deal in a bunch of, you know, 20th century Fox stuff. And this is, so we'll see. Our new When Animals Attack segment continues with Hairball number one from Dark Horse Lux House. That was good. It's, thank you. It's $3.99. It's written by, I had a whole uh, three minutes and some seconds to think about it while I tuned out during your Planet of the Apes review. Oh, please. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's written by Matt Kent with art by Tyler Jenkins and Hillary Jenkins. They are two independent Jenkinses. Whether they're married or not, they both deserve their own mention. Here's your solicit. A brand new supernatural nightmare that's Junji Ito meets Hayao Miyazaki from the Eisner-nominated creators of Fear Case and Apache Delivery Service. A young girl with a black cat begins to suspect the innocuous beast is behind all her troubles, her parents fighting, family plagues, and innumerable supernatural horrors. As she tries her best to rid herself of this creature, she discovers that maybe the cat is not evil after all, and a greater terror may be behind these horrific events harming her life. Matt Kent's Flux House imprint grows yet again with this Pet cemetery esque tale of terror and domestic strife. Okay, not so much Pet cemetery esque aside from the evil cat, but yeah, you get it. It's not dead. Well, I mean, it's an evil cat. You get it. As far as There's, we know, it's not dead. I'll say that. It, you know, it might be, you know, it might be puppeted around. Could from, be dead. You know, could be. Uh, you don't know. Kent's script is a slow burn that balances the trouble building in Anna's family life with the escalating horror being caused by the cat or the seemingly parasitic creatures living within it. 
Uh, see also my comment about the cat maybe being puppeted around. Yeah, it's gross. The art by Jenkins and Jenkins creates a sense of atmospheric creeping dread with beautifully jagged lines and watercolors, as well as the judicious use of repeated panels that compel you to look closely for subtle changes. The repeated panel trick in comics is a really great tool that is very often misused by people that are just too lazy to draw. Or, here, though, or not good enough to do it right, I would argue. Maybe, yeah. Uh, but here, it really serves the story, and I love what they did here. Hairball number one is an excellent addition to the Flux House Library, and it sets the stage for another disturbing tale from Kent. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, as if hairballs weren't gross enough. Matt Kent figured out a way to make them even more disgusting. <laughs> yeah, right. And, uh, you know, as a guy that's allergic to cats, I don't hate cats, but I never had cats around and I've always thought they were kind of creepy. And Kent obviously shares a very similar uh, feeling that I do. He does a really good job of making this cat definitely odd. And I don't want to give away there's, there's a thing that it does where you just go, well, that's not right. And you instantly know there's something supernatural going on. And it's not just a weird hairball thing. I don't want to give it away because it's a neat little effect. I did think I wanted just a little more from this issue. I didn't like dislike it, but I wanted a little more to pull me in. I'm going to read more for now. I guess I'm less interested in this Matt Kent book than I am in a lot of the other ones that are going on. I'm going to give it a skim it. It's not bad. The art is cool. I just wanted a little more to you crazy to pull me into it. That's all I'm saying. It's good. Okay. I, that's fine. Uh, my counterpoint to that is that I, I mean, and I understand uh, like your opinion is valid. I don't mean to just, just, uh, we don't have to do this. We invalidate that. We invalidate each other's opinions every week. No, but show. I mean, I like I, what you're saying is a valid opinion right um to me though from my perspective i know that it's a three issue miniseries which means it's gonna read i think it's better judged as a whole probably and so uh, that can be tough when splitting it up into issues that's and i think that's the pro when you split it up into issues i guess i need a little more knowing it's only three issues i need a little more in that first one to pull me into issue two that was my only primary because there's only three it's not like Oh, yeah. When all 30 issues were said and done, we really found out what that cat was doing. <laughs> yeah. Whereas for me, knowing that it's a three issue miniseries, I know that the content I crave is going to come fast and furious. They're probably going to hit the gas, you know, in the, in the pages to come. So. Yeah. It's just a matter of purpose. Catch sure are scary, Joe, but you ever gotten really close to a rabbit? They freak me out, man. They're not pets. I'll tell you that <laughs> yeah, much. You weirdo. This is Junk Rabbit number one. It's from Image. It's $3.99. It's written and drawn by Jimmy Robinson. Here is your solicit. Series premiere! A new hero rises from mountains of consumer waste, mass homelessness, and devastating climate change. Some call the hero a myth, an urban legend, but others know it's the Junk Rabbit! Come to life. Jimmy Robinson brings a new take to the dystopian tale of how climate disaster alters not only our world, but also the heroes that literally rise from it. Swamp Thing meets RoboCop. Okay. I mean, if you say so. Uh, calm, <laughs> calm down. Calm down, Jimmy. Bomb Queen creator Jimmy Robinson takes on dystopic sci-fi in this story of a trash-covered planet in the year 2198. 
The rich that couldn't afford to move off-planet live in domed cities and only venture out for ironic tours of the junk-heap cities that the poor inhabit for the equivalent of their future social media stories, I guess. Yeah, YouTube clicks. YouTube little likes. TikTok, bro. TikTok. Listen to you. YouTube. I don't know anything about what you, YouTube, What really. are you, 50? <laughs> There's quite a bit of future dialogue and jargon that threw me at first, but it's not much worse than watching some of the viral TikToks today, and it's used to good effect to show what a jackass this one character is. Are they like vines? Vines? Okay. That's a thing, right? Vine. Not anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> Robinson brings a ton of style to the book. His opening two-page splash is a wildly detailed trash pile spectacle where he lays out the world. Other aspects didn't work as well, like the sepia tone backgrounds of the junk cities called sinks with full-colored characters in front of them. I just didn't really get what they were trying to, like, say or or do with that, maybe. We don't learn much about the junk rabbit yet, but Robinson is building a mystery around what looks to be a saint for the junk dwellers. As a first issue, Junk Rabbit does his job setting up the world and delivering a mystery around its main character. I was never a fan of the cheesecake of Robinson's bomb queen, so it's refreshing to see he can do high-concept sci-fi. As it turns out, when he's not drawing women falling out of their tops, he's a pretty damn good <laughs> artist, too. I'm going to give this a buy it. I thought it was pretty well executed. You know, he did that. Um, yes, I don't care for Bomb Queen either. But he he did that book that was basically like Harry Potter if it was Kung Fu school. It was called Five Weapons. And like I said, it was basically like a school for uh, kids to learn how to be assassins. And this, this came out before Deadly Class. This was years before Deadly Class. Yeah. And... Uh, it was basically kind of like a Hogwarts for young assassins and you, you would, your house would be like whatever you specialized in, like right, right. poison or knives or whatever. Uh, and I loved that book. So I knew he had it in him and I was really pleasantly surprised by Junkrabbit. It is a little heavy handed, um, but I do like the premise. I, I like the dystopia that he has established. The like, It's very kind of Fallout-esque. Right? Yeah, but like Where, even messier. I suppose. Right. Like fallout doesn't necessarily have like domed cities where the rich, uh, like it, but it does certainly have like protected and protected environments where the wealthy uh, live, but while everybody else lives in cities made of junk. And, um, I really like that. I junk rabbit appear is supposed to be the hero, but he is just murdering people left and right. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, I thought this was fun. I'm giving it a buy it. I Jimmy Robinson. I know the guy's got it in him. And I thought this one was uh, a winner. Well, and hey, look, I've never read Bomb Queen. People like it for what it is. It is. I think we had to have reviewed at least one issue. I don't on think the show we have. I don't know if we have. I don't remember it. But seven hundred episodes, shit falls through the cracks. So, but I will say the people that enjoy it say it is very aware of what it's doing. It does what it's doing well. I'm sure it must be. Yeah. So it is what it is. It's not like a cave woman, for example. <laughs> Like, yeah, I mean, I'm not shaming it. It's just not my cup of meat, you know? And if you like Cavewoman, good for you. Hey, I love cats and rabbits as much as the next guy, but I've always been a dog man, especially if they are space dogs from the future, which is why my next review is of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Dog of War, number one from IDW. It's $4.99. It's written by Mike Chen with art by Angel Hernandez. Here's your solicit. Bark! Which I guess is a corgi bark. Yeah. An extremely rare purebred corgi from Earth makes its way aboard Deep Space Nine when Quark cuts a deal to procure it for a high buyer. 
After all, a Ferengi without profit is no Ferengi at all. But Latinum the Corgi comes with unexpected cargo that shakes Captain Benjamin Sisko to the core. A Borg component discovered by a crew sent to uncover Cardassian technology after the station's reoccupation. Don't miss out on this exclusive quote-unquote lost episode celebrating the 30th anniversary. Oh, boy, that... We're old men. We're wretchedly old men. Jesus H. time to admit it, folks. The 30th anniversary of the fan-favorite show, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and debut comic series by acclaimed author Mike Chen. You may know his work from such things as Star Wars Brotherhood. I don't... I do not, but that's okay. I don't either. And Star Trek comics artist extraordinaire Angel Hernandez. The solicit is spot on in describing this as a lost episode of the show. Dog of War number one could slide right into the middle of season six, not long after the Federation reclaimed Deep Space Nine from the Dominion. Mike Chen introduces two separate plots that are obviously more connected than they first appear. The mysterious Borg device and the even more mysterious Corgi, which Quark names Latinum, which I thought was very cute. Chen's script captures the characters perfectly, aided by some great likenesses by Angel Fernandez. And I mean, like, these are spot-on likenesses without being like, he traced a photo of Avery Brooks. Like, it just just looks like him. He nails it. But the two plots are at odds with each other, with the crew fawning over the adorable Latinum as Cisco deals with the potentially deadly... I wrote dead, with the potentially deadly potential of the Borg technology. We've been doing this for 700 episodes. Yeah, folks, you know. so I'm sorry. It's fun, but it's also kind of jarring because they want us to take this Borg thing super duper serious. Right. But I'm too busy, like, watching the dog run around the hollow suite. But I will give them extra points for including my favorite hollow suite crooner, Dick Fontaine. I love that guy. Hernandez's art is mostly. Excellent, as I said earlier, but it's also kind of inconsistent at times. Some pages are beautifully illustrated with gorgeous layouts, but then there are others that are just the plainest of the plain with static panels and thick, dull lines. Like, like take a look when you have this book in front of you. There's a scene in Odo's office where they're talking about what to do, and it looks like it was drawn by a completely different artist than the guy that's drawing, like, Cisco flashing back to the Battle of Wolf 359 and the death of his wife. Like, it's so inconsistent. Star Trek Deep Space Nine Dog of War number one is a nice but uneven trip down memory lane to my favorite Trek series with occasionally beautiful art. I'm giving this a strong skim it. It's got some problems. Yeah, I think when you put this alongside the other new Star Trek series that they have running right now, which we both agree are fan friggin' tastic, like just excellent right. Star Trek reads. This doesn't hold up. This comes off as kind of cute at times, but like you said, it comes off as like a lost episode that they didn't make because the script wasn't that great, quite honestly. Well, I mean, I don't it, think that's what they meant. It's fine. It's cute at best, but I don't know. I did. I didn't care for this. I thought it was fine, and afterwards I went, eh, don't need any more of that. It's a skim for me. I honestly thought, just like you said, their panels look like a completely different artist drew it. And I went back and looked like, is someone else doing this? Or were they in a rush to finish something? And he just had to fire something out, but it's noticeable and it's not good. Yeah. And I also didn't care for the plot. I'm not going to give it a leave it, but I'm going to give it a very low skim it. Cause I just, I mean, it's I not, didn't care. It's, 
I didn't it's care. It's certainly not terrible. It's not terrible, but it's also not as well executed as the other Star Trek stuff that they have going on right now. And I don't need to read any more. I, I just don't care about this. Skim it. I mean, in a, in a world where they've got two or more excellent Star Trek books running, why, w- why make time for a third one that's mediocre? That's my point. Yeah. I, wh- what is the point of this? Right. Is, are they all going to be lost episode scripts? They're like, oh, we never made this one, but yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Okay. Do you hear? You'll have to get your entertainment someplace else. Let's venture away from our animal theme to get nasty in Scotland with The Nasty, number one, from Vault. It's $4.99. It's written by John Lees with art by George Cambadeus and Adam Cahoon. Here is your solicit. Calling all scary movie fans, Scotland, 1994. Okay. 18-year-old Thumper Connell still has an imaginary friend, the masked killer from his favorite slasher film, Thumper is obsessed with horror and always has been. He fills his time with scary VHS rentals and hanging out with his fellow fans, the Murder Club. But everything changes when his local video shop acquires one of the notorious films known as Video Nasties. These Faces of Death. Uh, no, it's beyond that. Like, I'll, I'll talk about it in a little bit. But okay. it's, it's beyond that. Films so scary, they're the target of the British Moral Decency League's crusade to ban and burn. But it's only a movie, right? It's just all imaginary, isn't it? A story about the perception of evil, the power of genre, and the love of fandom. The need to create art, oh, and crap your pants, terror! The slasher horror slice of life coming of age genre is a new one to comics as far as I know. And this creative team does a really nice job telling a cute story set in the middle of the UK's own little horror movie panic. In the States, we had a satanic panic of the 80s. But in the UK at this time, they went after horror films. Not necessarily even like Faces of Death, like straight up Friday the 13th, anything. They were just like, this is corrupting our youth. We got to get rid of it. I could very much relate to Thumper watching and falling in love with slasher movies as a child. Lee's does a really nice job of setting up his band of nerds with a shared love of horror movies and their local video shop. The addition of Thumper's imaginary friend, a murderous Michael Myers sort of Jason mashup is a little strange and never really finds its footing in the story until the very last page that looks like it's probably going to push the story in motion. Cambodia's art is cartoonish. It's perfect for a nerdy story about horror nerds, but he does a really great job making Thumper's imaginary friend, Red Annis, look like a giant menacing murder machine. I think Cahoon is the colorist here, but he's the real star with excellent splashes of bright reds and these really cool digital light effects. The story isn't bad, but I wish it had come together a little earlier in the issue. I might check out the next issue, but the reveal on the last page, while interesting, felt a little tacked on. And honestly, there's enough charm here. I don't know if the nasty needed this twist. I'm going to give it a skim it. It's not bad. What? It just I felt mean, like they're forcing it a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, it's going to be really hard to, to discuss what twist you're talking about without spoiling it completely. Well, I mean, the solicit kind of gives it away, but I think we can discuss it. I just don't think it earned that last page. I think they needed to drop some seeds 
for what is going to be happening that they didn't so much drop until literally the last line of the last page. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, I agree with you that this is a scheme. Like it, it doesn't, it didn't really do a ton for me. I love the art. First of all, the art's I, great. I like, I like George Combada, Combadeus a lot. I like the kids and too. I, like had this just been a story about these nerds, I would have been like, this isn't bad. You know, I'd I mean, it would have been it. like, it would have been like very, it's, it would have been like very reminiscent of, um, you know, Stranger Things season four with uh, the Hellfire Club, right? Sure. Like these sure. are, it's the Hellfire Club, except they're obsessed with horror movies instead of D&D. Yeah. And yeah, that, I agree. That could have been fun, but I mean, I don't know if I'd call it a, a, a twist. I, I think that this was supposed to be the plot all along. Like I, I knew from the jump that Red Ennis was going to be real and not imaginary. Like it, they telegraphed that a mile away that Red Ennis is not a figment of his imagination. No, I agree with you. And I knew it was as well. It just seems like, they didn't get to that until literally the very, the very last end, right. panel of the very end. And I, it, I mean, it like he, it's on the cover. He's crawling out of the poster in the video right, star wall. Right. But the question now I'm left with is, was this kind of specter with him all along? You know what I mean? Or yeah. is it the tapes doing? And I don't know. I, it's a skimming for me. It's uh, it's it's fun. Um, it's got some issues. Uh, the art is fantastic. It really is. I, I really, I really love this. Uh, these artists, and I totally agree about the coloring. Um, it's really well done. It just looks hot as hell. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Finally, we're done talking about animals, and we're getting to what you pay for. The superheroes. It's the Flash number 796. He's nearing a milestone of his own. It's from DC. It's $3.99. It's written by Jeremy Adams with art by Roger Cruz, Fernando Pissarin, and hey oh, George Combatius. That guy gets around. George, that was a good week. Good week for George. He has a good he has had a good week. Here's your solicit. It's the final moments of the one-minute war, cornered by the evil Admiral Vell. The Flash family is on the edge of defeat, but some surprising allies give the speedsters one last chance to change the outcome of the war once and for all. The one-minute war lives up to its name as Jeremy Adams wraps up the storyline with lightning speed. Adams pulls together threads from throughout his run and ties them all together really nicely, and he manages to completely undo the events of Hero Crisis while doing so. What a treat! It's like it didn't happen. Heroes in Crisis might as well Gone. not even been wiped published, clean. Yeah, which is a okay with me. I've never been so glad to see Lagoon Boy and Gunfire in my entire life. <laughs> Adams once again shows that he was the best choice to restore Wally West to prominence with pitch perfect character interactions and a loving appreciation for the Flash family's history. The art is less successful, however. It's not that any of it's bad. But it's a bit scattered with the presence of three different pencilers. But all three have been contributing to the run, especially for the past few months. So it wasn't a deal breaker for me. I just didn't know 
why didn't just one person draw this? I didn't know that. Yeah. I couldn't figure out why. It's a, it's violent. The changes are definitely violent. Like and the styles are very different. Yeah. And like panel by panel, sometimes there's a change where you go, whoa, 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 what the? <laughs> well, no, it's page by page. But it, but Fernando Passarin is so different from yeah. Roger Cruz, who is so, so different from George Cumbadeus. So it's like they don't even match stylistically. The Flash 796 is a satisfying conclusion to the One Minute War that paves the way for the future of Wally and his family and sets the stage for the conclusion of Jeremy Adams's excellent run on the title. I'm giving this up by it. So I'm way behind on the flash. I had, I, I would not blame you if you said you didn't read it. I, I read it and I did not okay. know what was going on, but I can obviously see that Jeremy Adams has a really good take on this character and has a really good voice for Wally. And this, this issue is insane so many guest stars weird guest stars by the way and it's it's fun as hell and it makes me want to go back and read this i agree the art shifts are a lot there just didn't need to be any there didn't need to be three artists on this. i don't get it unless they're just like we look we got to get this out we got to get it finished now well something is happening the, the, the reason i think it's intentional is because all three of these artists have been working on the run. That's fair. Like they've they've been rotating throughout that, the run. That's fair, but it doesn't work. It just doesn't. It doesn't work. work. You yeah. put the three of them together. Like there's two of them that I like. One of them that I think is fine. <laughs> I'll say that they should have let Pasarin just draw it. Probably or or, or Cruz or Cambodias or Cruz. Just pick one and let them do the job. You know, and that'd be fine. Who do you think was just fine? Honestly, I didn't love the Fernando uh, Pissarin stuff as it's, much as it's I like the other guys. It's pretty different because it's very realistic. And I think that's the problem. The tone of it, like the it, two... It, it, it's not very animated. Right. Cruz and Cambodias are doing a very cartoonish thing. And yeah. Pissarin, who's not a bad artist at all, I, I, he's very talented. I've liked a lot of what he does. His style just doesn't work next to these two styles. Yeah, it, it would be like if Chris Weston drew the Flash. Like right. You wouldn't really, you wouldn't want that. Or if like you were like Chris or, Weston. Or I don't know, just to pull a name out of thin air, Mike Diodato Jr. Or like Chris Weston is drawing this first story and then Michael Avon Oming is drawing the second one. You'd go, whoa, <laughs> like that is some See, style it, clash, you know? It's, it's funny because Mike Diodato Jr. is the new artist of the Flash. Yes, I'm staying away from that until we get there. We'll get there. We're, we'll, we'll I'm talk just telling you, he's a weird choice. I know. I agree. Uh, it's too bad that they're ending his run early. I know a lot of people love it. I'm going to go back and read his run because this was a lot of fun. Please I will, do, yeah. I will give this a very high skim it because I think the choice of the three artists just didn't work. It didn't work for me. And it's and if they did it on purpose, that's a bad choice. It hurts the book. Fair. Enough of your silly superhero bullshit, Joe. I want to get real. I want to get deep. I want to get scared with the seasons have teeth. Number one. Just a name like that. It sounds like a great emo band. It's a really great title. It's a super great title. Emo at its saddest. Okay, this is Boom. It's $4.99. It's written by Dan Waters with art by Sebastian Cabrol. Sounds like a track title for, there's this band called I Love You, But I've Chosen Darkness. (laughs) That was the (laughs) band name. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good name. Here's your solicit. In a drab, colorless world, the seasons bring change. Andrew, a retired conflict photographer, lives a life steeped in regret, pain, and sorrow. When the seasons arrive, each one embodied as a powerful godlike creatures, everything for Andrew begins to change. 
as he risks everything to track down spring, summer, autumn, and winter, he can't help but hope that capturing the perfect picture of each will help him find his redemption and maybe, just maybe, bring color back to his world. Writer Dan Waters had a big hit with homesick pilots from Image, but here he's taking on straight-up cerebral horror with the help of the outstandingly talented Sebastian Cabral, who has dabbled in horror when he worked with Anthony Bourdain on his Hungry Ghosts book. Oh, we read that. Yeah, well, there were several artists. He was one of them. Though. Yeah, it was a it was a hardcover. Right. It was like a graphic novel. <laughs> Water script leans into Andrew examining his life in an advanced age and looking literally to recapture his passion for life and photography by chasing these living embodiments of the seasons. It's almost all inner monologue, and the larger story is only hinted at by newspaper clippings in the background. Cabral's detailed pencils create a foreboding creepiness that gives away to beautiful mystery when Dan Jackson's soft, watercolored tones slowly bleed into the otherwise monochrome story. His design for the god that brings spring is perfectly pagan and creepy as hell. My theme this week seems to be slow. But also, but also not. (laughs) Well, but... I mean, that's my, I guess that's my point. Like, it's like not a good or bad thing. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it is a force of, it's, it is a force of nature. Right. Like, and that's the whole idea with like pagan, you know, gods and stuff. They were creepy, but they weren't bad. (laughs) They just did their thing. You know, my theme this week seems to be slow burn and seasons have teeth fits perfectly. Waters and Kabul are spinning a fairy tale against the background of mythic godlike forces of nature that can be terrifying or beautiful, depending on your perception. Calling it a horror story is probably too reductive, but this is definitely a buy it. Uh, you know what? I, I didn't, by the end of it, I did not think it was a horror story at all. I mean, maybe it well, will be. When I went into it, I was like, oh, this is a horror story right. about a giant monster that comes out every spring. And by the end of the issue, I was like, oh, no, that's not what's happening. I mean, it is what's happening, but it, it is, but it's not. And I don't want to say too much, but um, I read this just today, and I was like, ugh, Matt picked another weird off, weird one-off. Uh, uh, another weird title. I'm in the corner weirding off. Don't worry about me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Like Matt, Matt's out here weirding off, just trying to pad his list with, with books. And I'm like, and so I wasn't really looking forward to finishing my reading for the week, but I read this and I was so impressed. Yeah. I loved the way that waters and Cabral built the world without spending a ton of time explaining the world. Yeah. All you like you see newspapers in the background that literally explain everything. Like I feel like I know almost everything to, that there is to know about this world's status quo. Now, of course, there's room for surprises, but like I get it. It's a world where every season welcomes a new monster. And there's there's definitely uh, something uh, horror related going on, but it I mean the horror may be like, hey, guess what, humanity? you're a small part of something that you don't understand. And if you don't get out of the way, it's going to kill you. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's basically like, it's a comic book of, it's a comic book about a tornado. If the tornado was alive, right? It, it, exactly. It's, just, it's Godzilla. Uh, you know, it's a force of, I nature. mean, except it's not a Kaiju, right? It's not like rampaging. It's just being all yep. it is, is being. And it's such a wonderful, it's a really, it's a really great comic. You guys, 
I don't want to, I want to stop explaining things because it's such a, a neat uh, resolution to this first issue. I was, I was hooked. I was like, I'm in for the rest of this series. I assume it's only four issues because I think it's six total. I'm not positive. Well, but it is come a on. Series. Do they got six seasons in this version of the United I mean, States? I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Dan, but maybe there's more story to tell, you know? Uh, yeah, no, I'm kidding. But fantastic wonderful art dan waters who's also been doing some great work in the sandman universe at uh, dc this was phenomenal i loved it it's a huge buy it and a total surprise as well yeah because i wasn't expecting anything absolutely let's shift gears from british horror to british murder mystery with the great british bump off number one it's from dark horse it's 399 it's written by john allison with art by max Saren. Here's your solicit. An Agatha Christie-style murder mystery set in the world of English competitive baking from Giant Days' John Allison and Max Saren. When she enters her country's most beloved baking competition, Shauna Wickle's goal is to delight the judges, charm the nation, and make a few friends along the way. But when a fellow contestant is poisoned, it falls to her to apprehend the culprit while avoiding premature elimination from the UK bakery tent. And being the poisoner's next victim. Giant Days is an absolute treasure. So, seeing these two creators reunite for a new series is a big deal. You know, to me and a lot of people. Luckily, Allison and Saren don't disappoint with their 10 Little Indians meets the Great British Baking Show parody. Saren's script is almost aggressively British. <laughs> But it's also incredibly charming and funny, packed full of throwaway jokes like Shauna revealing she's a grindcore vocalist in her spare time. Max Aaron's art is wonderful. His characters are comically expressive and animated. This comic is a joy to look at. The Great British Bump Off number one introduces a charming new story from a pair of fan favorite creators. And for me, it was a delight to read. I'm giving this a buy it. I'm just trying to like let you down gently because what's about to happen is not. Gonna no, be I'm not going to like skewer said. this. It's not like that. I just. So giant days and I'm not comparing the two, but giant days, like you said, was a treasure. It was a very. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very different. Giant days was an yes. ongoing slice of life about a group of people. This is a much different. Right. And I self-contained guess, short story. I guess I thought I was expecting something a little more clever and less saccharine sweet and cute and all i really got from this the art's great it's very good but the art is also done very saccharine sweet and cute everyone's smile is gigantic and i get which it which i think is part of the parody i get it they're trying to parody yeah. the, the british baking shows and whatnot it was just a little too much for me and i thought at the end i hear you i didn't think it was very funny i thought it was cute at best i i don't it just didn't do much for me Quite honestly, I don't plan on reading anymore. I'm not going to give it a leave it because it, it looks really good. And you can tell they worked very hard at it. I think the best thing I can say about this is it's cute, but it's a little too saccharine sweet. I'm giving it a skim it. That's all I could do with it. I mean, I get it. You got a black heart in that. that that's bound I, to happen. I think We're it could have been a little more clever. I think it could have been a little more clever. That's all I'm saying. Uh, and my counterpoint is that I think that it was really clever, but I also think that a lot of stuff may have felt flat because of 
cultural differences. No, I'm like, I know British. I watch a lot of British TV. I get British humor. Oh, some of my best friends are British. Is that what you're saying, man? I've had sex with way too many British people to be racist, okay? Sure. (laughs) We haven't whipped that joke out for a long time. Let's get back to our animal theme with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Usagi Ojimbo, colon, where when? Number one from IDW. It's $4.99. It is written and drawn by Stan Sakai. Here is your solicit. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pursue the evil cyborg genius Dr. Werewen through a time portal and emerge in feudal Japan. There they encounter Usagi Ojimbo, 20 years into the samurai's future, but decades after the arrival of Dr. Werewen who has already carved himself a fiefdom using mechanized clockwork samurai robots with the intention of conquering both the past and the current timelines. I feel like they wrote the solicit and then Stan Sakai was like, I'm not quite done with the first issue, but yeah, we do get. Yeah. I feel like some of that stuff happened in this. (laughs) Some of that stuff happened in this episode. Usagi creator Stan Sakai is one of my favorite cartoonists in the business. And it wasn't too long ago. He took his Samurai Rabbit comics to IDW, which means another in a long line of Usagi TMNT comic crossovers was due. This time, Sakai is at the helm, bringing his instantly recognizable style to the story, along with his amazing storytelling. Crossovers like these typically follow a formula where the good guys meet in confusing circumstances, then they fight, but they ultimately team up to defeat the real enemy. While that formula is here, Sakai is careful to keep the story firmly in Usagi continuity and adds his usual moments of heart and detail. If you love Usagi, I don't need to tell you to buy this. But if you're a Turtle fan that's never picked up Stan Sakai's work, I guess I have to wonder what the hell is wrong with you. And if you don't like Stan Sakai, we don't have much in common. So you can frig off. I'm giving this a huge buy it. This is just (laughs) great Stan Sakai storytelling starring the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Loved it. Yeah, you know, I loved it too. I have not read a ton of Usagi Yojimbo, but every time we review it on the show, I, I I enjoy myself. You know, it's it's a great book. It's just that there's so much of it that I have never devoted the time. I However. Will, I'll tell you, Joe Patrick, Stan Sakai is the kind of creator that you can pick up. Oh, no, I know. Any Usagi it's, like comic and just it's, go. It's, it's my own failing, right? Like, I can't do it. Like, I've got to read the whole thing. I've got to be there from the beginning. So, I don't know. Maybe I'll get over my own baggage and, and do it someday. But what I was saying is, I love Yusagi Yujimbo every time we read it. This was no exception. I, I love when he does things like he'll use a, 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 an ancient Japanese term and then he'll put a footnote in it that explains what that is. Yeah, it, like, like he, the little details that he drops. Like there were notes the of measurement in this one. Yeah. Right? Give me footnotes in all the comics. Yeah, I love them. Absolutely. The art is fantastic. I love the turtles. I love this dumb bunny. That's two rabbit themed, not only animal themed, but two rabbits. Two rabbits. Two rabbits in one in one show. In one show. I'm giving this a buy it as well. This one is much better than Joe. <laughs> no offense, Jimmy Robinson. Stan Sakai is a genius. I guess I'm carrying all the superhero weight this episode because my next review is of Captain America Cold War Alpha number one from Marvel. It's $4.99. It's written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing and Tochi Onyabuchi with art by Carlos Magno. Here's your solicit. 
The revolution starts here. Cold War, part one. Alpha, number one. Bucky Barnes is the Outer Circle's new revolution, and he has enacted his deadliest move yet, an alliance with Sam Wilson's nemesis, the White Wolf. When Steve Rogers' adopted son Ian, a.k.a. Nomad, is abducted by someone Steve thought was a friend, he suspects Bucky's hand at work and calls upon the people who knew Ian best. Sam Wilson, Sharon Carter, and Misty Knight to help him get to the bottom of the attack. Has Bucky finally gone too far? Why has Nomad been taken? And what does it have to do with a portal to Dimension Z opening over a secret battleground in Alaska? The Symbol of Truth and the Sentinel of Liberty reunite for a pulse-pounding crossover event that will make them question everything they believe in and each other. You know you can always count on Marvel for making sure you know which issue kicks off an event by labeling it as part one in at least two different ways, sometimes more. (laughs) This issue brings together the ongoing plots of both Cap titles without feeling forced, but unfortunately, the two plots don't really mesh together well, in my opinion. While I've been loving Sentinel of Liberty, I've gotten way behind on Symbol of Truth, so I didn't really know what was going on in that book. I'm a little disappointed to see that the compelling conspiracy story that Steve and Sharon have been dealing with is being linked to a relatively stale extra-dimensional invasion plot. But I'm all in on this Outer Circle thing with Bucky, so I'm willing to see where it all goes. The art by Carlos Magno is not my cup of tea, and I'll leave it at that. I'm just not a fan. Regular listeners will know that from past reviews. Cold War Alpha number one brings the two Captains America back for the culmination of their first year's worth of storylines, but the reunion was a bit of a mixed bag for me. I'm giving this a skim it. I love Carlos Magno, and I've been I've got a record of saying that. I don't think this is good, Carlos Magno. I think it's weird. Yeah. I think there's a lot of weird panels, and I'm not sure what it is. And I want to say, well, maybe Guru Effects screwed him, but I don't think that's the issue. <laughs> so there's just a lot of weirdness here. I don't know. Now, I agree. The cap portion of this conspiracy has been outstanding. The, the, the land- Steve Rogers portion. Right, they the landing and, and Kelly portion has been fantastic. Yeah. The Onyabuki book has been good. It's a good read. I like it. But I kind of don't buy how they're mashing them together even. Like, no, I, I do not buy that Bucky, who is trying to overthrow the Outer Circle, would team up with the White Wolf, who all he wants to do is rule Wakanda. Yeah. And now he's the new Arnim Zola? Yeah. I, it, that doesn't make any sense to me. It feels like they smashed it together, quite honestly. They smashed it together. And yeah. like, again, both books on their own. Not bad. The one is great, and the other one, not bad at all. Right, and that's it. That like I, I think that I would totally dig reading that high adventure sci fi cat book yeah, on its own. Absolutely, but they kind of. I don't need this peanut butter in my chocolate. You know what I'm saying? The peanut butter is good. I don't need these the pickles in my peanut butter. The more chocolate accurately. is good. Keep them separate for now, and I'll enjoy them that way. You know, it's yeah. It feels a little forced to me. I'm giving it a skim it. Which is too bad because we were really excited for this crossover too. I wish yeah, it, I wish it it's true. just would have been what it is, what we thought it was. You know, right? That's all right. it needed. Hey, Joe Patrick, you want to see a picture of a guy getting run over by a tank? 
Boy, do I. Oh, then you're going to love World Tree. Number one, it's spelled W-Z-O-R-L-D. Yeah, I hated it right from the beginning, so let's get it over with. This is what they do. It's from Image. It's $3.99. It's written by James Tinney in the four with art by Fernando Blanco. Here's your solicit. Thanks for reminding us, Image. Series premiere! In 1999, Gabriel and his friends discovered the Undernet, a secret architecture to the internet. They charted their exploration on a message board called World Tree. Then they lost control. Someone broke into the World Tree. Someone who welcomed the violent hold the Undernet had on them at great personal cost. Gabriel and the others thought they sealed the Undernet away for good. They were wrong. And now they will know the meaning of, I don't even know how to say this, (laughs) PH34R. Fear. Fear? God, I hate that. Fear. The next major horror outing. Matt, you you don't... You don't speak leet? You don't t- you don't, don't. leet speak? I refuse to speak it. The next from the nineties? That's different. The next major horror outing from multiple Eisner Award winning writer James Tinney in the four, who worked on Department of Truth, Nice House on the Lake, and Fernando Blanco, who worked on Detective Comics, along with Eisner winning colorist Jordi Belair and Eisner nominated letterer Aditya Bidikar begins here. That's a lot of Eisners. Yeah. Tinian is a horror machine, cranking out some of the best scary comics on the stands these days, and there seems to be no end to his scary ideas. Here, he's taking on the edgelord trolls of the internet who accidentally created an algorithm that turns basement-dwelling trolls into murder machines. (laughs) There's a lot presented in the first issue, but the creative team keeps it very tight. The plot plays on headlines about mass shooters live streaming their carnage and how exposure to extreme violence online affects kids as they grow to adults. The villain they introduce almost comes off as a like Dr. Manhattan type character without all the nihilism and more of a taste for mass murder. Blanco's art is amazing and gives the story a real-world, gone-wrong feel with some incredible visual effects by colorist Jordi Belair, especially when victims are being affected by what they've seen on the mysterious undernet. It's just colors and the focus changes and there's lasers all over. I don't know what vile garbage Tinian grew up looking at on the internet, but it made for a first issue of a horror story that feels dangerous and just like the sites that hosted the most gruesome content on the internet in the late 90s early 2000s this one is going to be hard to look away for me i'm giving this a buy it this nailed me and creeped me the fuck out <laughs> i really liked it all right i liked it despite myself because the second they started off with that world tree with the grawlix Garbage. Well, but I mean, I, that is the story. That is the. I understand. I get it, Matt. But like this, from the second I saw it, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be insufferable." Right. And then it spends the first like ten pages as a like never-ending reference to the grossest shit that early two thousands internet could come up with. I dis- like. I disagree. Goatsy and uh, they mention it. Shit okay. on four chan. They mention it, but I will say we just reviewed a book not too long ago that took you on that tour of all this ridiculous stuff. We didn't like that either. And we didn't like that because they didn't do it well. I think Tinian does it very well here. I think he broaches the subject from the point of view of two characters who are about to discover this thing, dealing with someone who got neck deep into this mystery and it killed them, basically, (laughs) you know? 
And I think he's telling a different story. And I think he did a really good job here with it. It's not edgelord bullshit. It's here's where edgelord bullshit goes. It's a cautionary tale. Yes. Uh, And that's kind of where I was going with this is that I went into it expecting to hate it. And while there were parts of it, I did not enjoy because I find them insufferable. I think that underneath that is a really great horror story about, you know, uh, about this kind of dark, this dark version of the internet and how it takes people over. It's like very compelling. Um, It reminded me of Mimetic almost. Remember that book? Mimetic is exactly what I was thinking of. Yes. Mimetic. And there's this woman who looks like the lead singer of that band who, uh, and she was in Chappie. What's, what's that band? D Antwerd. And they kind of ruled. Oh. No, you know what I'm talking about though. I was like, oh, it's the girl, from, it's the girl from Chappie. Why isn't she wearing any clothes at all? But uh, the artist, fantastic. Yeah. The artist, so, so, so good. Oh, uh, yeah. James Tinney and the Four also wrote Mimetic. Well, there you go. Okay. Uh, there you are. I did not remember that. Yeah, there you go. Um, this is a buy it for me. I, I went in, I went in dreading it and ended up enjoying myself. I can't lie. It's, it's good. Yeah. I really think he set out to explore these themes of the worst shit on the internet posted by the worst people in the world and did it in that way where it's like, I don't want to read this. I don't want to be with these people. I don't want to hear about it, but I can't look away from it because it's so goddamn scary and I have to know what's going to happen. <laughs> you, know? you thought the naked girl gave you Dr. Manhattan vibes? In the sense that it's like she obviously has shed her humanity. And like okay. the quickest right. way to show that. that is like, I don't give a shit if I'm dressed or not. I'm different than you, <laughs> you know? Sure. Like, you, know, you know what? Yeah, I guess that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, Fernando Blanco, man. Woof. So good. Yeah, this gorgeous, terrifying and gorgeous. Yeah. You know what? I thought I was going to get back to the animal theme with my last review, but I got robbed. Of course, I'm talking about Guardians of the Galaxy number one. It's from Marvel. It's $4.99. It's written again by our friends Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing with art by Kev Walker. Here's your solicit. Who are the Guardians of the Galaxy? One year ago, the Guardians of the Galaxy were destroyed. Their optimistic future is shattered by the betrayal of one of their own. Now they ride the space lanes of a lawless corner of the galaxy trying to outrun their tragedy. Can they rediscover their heroism and humanity on the bleakest frontier? Can they forgive the failures of their past? Or will they fade into the dark, eternally unforgiven? You know those writers. We talked about them already. Kev Walker, you might know him from the recent Predator series. He also drew some Guardians of the Galaxy. True. That's worth. The Kelly and Lansing love fest continues. The duo, along with, hey, that guy I just talked about, artist Kev Walker, have reimagined the title as a space western, a genre that I am always down to see. I Like, space western, I'm there. You oh, yeah. It. Oh, yeah. The great thing about the Guardians is that it is a concept that lends itself really well to reinvention, whether they're a team of futuristic freedom fighters an intergalactic squad of military operatives like during Annihilation, or the protectors of a tiny speck of a town on a backwater planet in the middle of nowhere, like in this issue. The previously teased Groot Fall story begins to take shape here, and the creative team delivers a compelling mystery that hooks you right away. What happened to the team? 
What is going on with Groot? Where the hell is Rocket? We had a theme, goddammit. I need to know the answers to these questions. Kev Walker is one of my favorites, and he is great here. That guy can pretty much draw anything, and I'll love it. Matt Hollingsworth's colors bring an unexpected brightness to the issue that fits the arid sun bleach setting. And I don't, so I don't mean bright as in like happy. It's bright because the sun is overbearing and there's no escape. Guardians of the Galaxy number one is a perfect jumping on point for this brand new status quo for the team. Imagine that the first issue that actually feels like the start of a story instead of dropping you into the middle of one. Great job, Marvel. I'm giving this a buy it. Apologies to Brad Walker, who was the artist I was thinking of that drew Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, you dumb bum. Different walk. That's Kev, um, that's Kev's I do, brother, I, Brad. I do love <laughs> Kev Walker, who has done a ton of great things. He yes. did a, a run on Thunderbolts with Luke Cage that I really love. Both of the Walkers, great artists. Kev Walker is fantastic here. And I think this is a great move. It's a big shakeup, certainly. We have no clue what's going on, but we're going to discover what it is. And Guardians has really been bogged down in its own story for years now, where if you weren't following along, you know, even when Donnie Cates took it over and took it in a different direction, if you weren't following along, you had no idea what was going on. And you're going to have to go way back to figure that out. And they're just like, here we are. Space Western, something funky going on. There's a problem with Groot. That's why the story is called Groot Fall. We're going to figure it out together. Let's go. Art is fantastic. This is a great way to do this for these characters. And I think it's also a very safe way to do it right before we get another Guardians movie that people are excited for and maybe want to read a Guardians comic. These guys are... That never happens, but we'll see. Never does. (laughs) But God bless these guys for trying. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think Lanzig and Kelly, they are my favorite writing duo working right now in superhero comics. I mean, look, are they the new Abnet and Lanning? I think so. Maybe. Maybe they are. I'm getting this a huge buy it, too. We've got links in our show notes for more details on these comics, but now it's time to pick the one comic that rose above the rest. Matt, which one of these comics are you putting in the THN private collection? There is a 42% chance that it's going to be an animal comic. I'm stepping away from the animal comics. I'm picking World Tree number one from Image. That book shook me up, man. Like, it just felt dangerous (laughs) while I was reading it. I was like, can they do this? Is this okay? (laughs) It really shook me. And I think James Tinian is on a roll. I think when Seasons Have Teeth ends, it's going to win a bunch of awards. And that was a close second for me. I want to see where it's going, but I have to see what the hell happens next in that comic. It got me. Loved it. All right. Well, for me, I'm giving it to Seasons Have Teeth because that comic just, it surprised the hell out of me. It was beautiful. Stunningly beautiful. And I really, really enjoyed it. Great job, Waters and Caprol. You guys really got me there. For 700 years, we've come Wait a minute. to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. No. Matt, ma- we just gave them an actual mathematical calculation. To make our must-read picks for next week. And this That's- episode is no different. Joe, if we're still it's- here a thousand years, I oh say boy. we make a pact right here 
right now to eat each other and end the sure. curse. <laughs> I mean, it was like seven, episode 700. We've been doing this for 700 years, right? That's how this works. Uh, so. You know what? I'll go ahead and agree to your suicide pact because, uh, you know, I know how math and the, the progression of time work. So it's also the only way we get out of this. Joe Patrick, what is your pick for next week? <laughs> that, that's true. Yes, a cannibalistic death pact is the only way we escape. My pick for next week, you can knock me over with a feather, but it's Avengers Assemble Omega number one. I'm kind of shocked. Is it just because it's ending? Is that why? Just because they're they're finally stopping? (laughs) I mean, look, man, I'll get there. It's $7.99. It's written by Jason Aaron with art by Javier Garon and Aaron Cooter. Here's your solicit. Avengers Assemble, the final chapter. The grand oversized finale of the most epic battle in the history of Earth's mightiest heroes. Along with being the final issue of Jason Aaron's five-year Avengers run, this features an all-star cavalcade of artists, a veritable smorgasbord of Avengers, and a few last emotional gut punches in the mighty Marvel manner. I guess I should have also credited various uh, for the art. I apologize. They weren't listed, so. Okay, so. Regular listeners will know that I have not been enthusiastic about Jason Aaron's Avengers. And it's true. Yeah. It, I haven't been. I have been reading Avengers Assemble just because I want to see how it ends. And so I've, I've read the entire storyline up to this point. I want to see how it ends. It's my pick because I want to see how it ends. Fair. Fair. I would say. And I, like, I want to see what Aaron does. I want to see how he sets the table for Jed McKay. I want to know what state my characters are in when he leaves. You know what I mean? I I like Jason Aaron. I just have not cared for his Avengers. I mean, either is what it is. I'm glad he's done. I'll say that he can go on and do other stuff. I I love him as a writer. I I'm, I am looking forward to a fresh voice on this title. Yes. My pick for next week is all eight eyes. Number one from dark horse. It's three 99. It's written by Steve Foxy. It was probably just Steve Fox, but it's an E on the end. And I like calling him Steve Foxy deal with it. Steve with art, by Peter Kowalski. Here's we don't mean to objectify you, Steve. Here's your solicit. Steve Foxy, Peter Kowalski. In the forgotten corners of post 9-11 New York City, skittering shapes in the darkness prey on the people society leaves behind. College dropout Vince Spencer floats through life in a drug and party-fueled haze, just like me, until one terrible night sweeps him into a drifter's reckless war against the giant eight-legged horrors stalking the city. Jaws meets arachnophobia in a new vision of creature feature terror from Eisner-nominated writer Steve Foxy, who worked on Razorblades, the horror magazine, and and dread-inspiring artist Peter Kowalski, who worked on Bloodborne. Now, come on. Peter Kowalski's done way better stuff He's done a bunch more. They're just naming something that they he did for Dark Horse. Spooky, right? Kowalski is awesome. I love him. Foxy is coming up, man. That dude, he's going to be a major player real soon here. He's a very talented Look, writer. When- and I love anytime giant bug, giant monster, giant animal attacking in. <laughs> you got me. That's my uh, Mike and my, I. Look, that's a big Mike thing. You know, like he I, when animals attack, he would yeah, always be like. Megalodon, right. Sharknado, boa, Megalodon. Boa versus bigger boa. <laughs> boa versus constrictor. Yeah, boa versus bigger boa was our joke. My eyes were drawn to the second paragraph first when we were looking at the script just now. And so when I read Jaws meets arachnophobia, I thought we were going to get. Eight-eyed land-walking sharks. So I'm kind of disappointed that they're just big spiders. However, I really like Peter Kowalski. Is that really how you say that name? Yeah, Peter. It's just a Russian spelling. I know it's a Russian spelling, but are you sure they don't pronounce it slightly differently? I don't 
Piotr? Do you want me to go, Piotr? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I want to be respectful <laughs> of his name. It's just Peter. Um, but you get it. It's, it's spelled like Colossus, you know? P-I-O-T-R, Piotr. So Peter Kowalski, I love that guy. And Steve Fox, he's doing great things as well. I don't love spiders. <laughs> but I'll read a comic book about They're giant spiders. Comic book spiders, you big baby. Come no, on. I'm just like, I just, I literally said just that. The THN Trade of the Week for April 19th goes to the Jurassic League hardcover from DC. It's $24.99. It's a pretty good deal for a, a six-issue hardcover. Yeah. It's written by Daniel Warren Johnson with art by Juan Gideon. Here's your solicit. Bear witness to a brand new, yet older than time, adventure and experience the Justice League as you never have seen them before. As dinosaurs operating as the Jurassic League. You know the story. An infant escapes a far-off planet before it explodes and is deposited on Earth to be raised by human parents. A goddess from a lost city defends truth. A Tyrannosaurus Rex dons the visage of a bat to strike fear into evildoers' hearts. You get it. This heroic trinity, alongside a league of other superpowered dinosaurs, join forces to save a prehistoric past from the sinister machinations of Darkseid. Wait, what? Okay, maybe you don't know the story. So join us and bear witness to a brand new, uh, yet older than time, adventure and experience the Justice League as you've never seen them before. I'm not sure why they use that sentence twice, but they do. Yeah, they're excited about it. They're fun. It's a bookend. This is Uh, Jurassic Jurassic League was fantastic. Yeah, it really was. This was also up for Eisner Awards. Had you said that like, oh, yeah, there's going to be a dinosaur version of the JLA comic book and it's going to be up for an Eisner Award. Be like. I don't know. And then you go, Daniel Warren Johnson is writing it and Juan Gideon's drawing it. You go, oh, okay, now I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for These sure. These guys are uh, amazing. And you know what? And this book was nuts. It was and you know so what? nuts. Animal theme, so suck it, there everybody. There we go. Okay, you heard what we're picking for next new comic book day, but what are you nerds pumped to read? Hit us up on our Discord and the new comics channel and let us know. And feel free to cuss us out if our picks burned you. We're full-grown men. We're 700. We can take it. Matt, we need to have a talk when this is over. Normally, it would be time for our THN Patreon Extra, but today we're celebrating our landmark 700th episode by looking back at our reviews from the very first episode of THN to see if our skills have improved at all since then. Macho is going to help us out by playing back our reviews and listening for us to say stop so we can interject VH1 pop-up video style. Macho, if you will, take us back to January 17th, 2011 for the first ever... Review time in the cigarette! Accessing THM episode one. We didn't yell it back then. Majo says it. We didn't do a lot of things back then. In fact, we were yelling, but we were yelling into my MacBook's microphone, and that's going to be very obvious before we get started here. So... I have listened to this. I don't know if you did. I can't. S- I listened to the entire episode. We sound so young. Let's just get started with it. Now, we can't play the whole thing because back then we were just straight up ripping off some music without copyright that we didn't have access to. So but let's get it rolling. And when we want to stop to say something, just say stop and I will. And Macho will stop for us and, and we can interject. You almost broke the fourth wall there. Don't I uh, don't reveal Ooh. that you're you're secretly Macho in disguise. That's it for the big news.
Now we're going to move on to comic book reviews. God, and the oh way my we've God. decided to do things listen to these is that kids. each week, Matt and I will pick one book from that current week's releases. For this episode, it will be books that were released on January 12th. And then we will pick one book from the following week that we are excited to read. Uh, the stuff that will be released next week, January 19th. The reviews will be spoiler-free for the most part, and then we'll rate each book on our skim it, buy it, or leave it scale. Just stop there. L- we started listen, with skim it back in the day. Why, Does that make any yeah, sense? Uh, <laughs> listen to that fidelity, though. Um, hey, you know what? I think that unintentionally, un- un- unintentionally appropriate that today is also the 12th. It's not January 12th, but it's the 12th today. It means so. nothing to anyone that's listening to this show on their own in their time. So I'm just <laughs> saying that like today's the 12th and the comics we were reviewing were also from the 12th. Okay. Just a different yeah. month in a different year. Skim it meaning not bad, worth a read. Buy it meaning take it home and archive it and leave it meaning leave it on the shelves. Not worth your time. This really good thing we like explained that too because nobody would have picked up on it. Week I decided <laughs> it was to the first Thunder episode Agents, come three on. from DC Comics by Nick Spencer and Cafu or... Kafu, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Kafu. If you're listening, maybe you could send us a little message on how to pronounce it. But anyway. Okay, stop. It's still a mystery to this day. We don't know. Kafu? It's Kafu. It's Kafu. We don't know. Thunder Agents has been brought back to DC. Well, not necessarily brought back. They started Tower Comics back in the 60s. DC had plans for years now to reinvent this series. And finally, it is back, and it's excellent. Really, really enjoy this one. Uh, writer Nick Spencer, who has been blowing up over at Image Comics with Morning Glories, has just really brought this fresh kind of Stop. almost Bendis. Uh, boy, how the worm has turned for Nick Spencer. <laughs> uh, you know, I, Morning Glories, I don't even know if that book ever actually ended. It I don't fizzled I, out. I think it fizzled were, out so bad. I remember? think people were. St- I think people are still waiting for it to come back and end. Yeah, and there was going to be a TV show, and there was all. Yeah, you know, it was a whole thing. Uh, and like Nick Spencer, not exactly lighting the world on fire these days, but back then he was kind of a. He was hot. A hot, a hot new voice. He yeah. was hot, baby. Type quippy dialogue without going for the cute that Bendis goes for. It's a little more serious and gritty. There's some really kind of adult themes going on in this one some uh this episode centered around no man no man being one of the original thunder agents from back in the 60s and i think he's going to be the only original guy on the team so far what it looks like okay stop thunder agents this was a thing that dc tried to do a couple times and like yeah do they, they not so they, own the rights to it anymore is it or do they just not care i mean it's, it's like it's licensed it's like um, it was a licensed property okay this comes this came this comes from a time period where dc was doing a lot of licensed books remember right. they were doing the archie um red circle books the shield and the web and uh dc did those archie didn't do those yeah, they're licensed so um the first books they did were archie were from Archie, but they are not owned by Archie. They're owned by this company that I don't even remember the name of. And so it has bounced. Uh, the license has bounced around all over the dang place. Yeah. For a time DC had them. And this was kind of around that same time. So Thunder Agents is another property that DC, you know, kind of snagged. Okay. The web was impact. And, and then DC did. They were all like, no, they were all. Yeah. Impact. Well, Impact was in the 90s, but these characters date all the way back to the 40s. Oh, not okay. the, I'm, gotcha, again, gotcha. we've digressed because we're not talking about the Thunder Agents right, anymore. Right, right. 
But these these characters that I associate with Archie because that's the first comics that they made of them. Um, they date back to the golden age. Yeah. And, and so, uh, but then they were reinvented in the nineties at DC under the impact imprint. And then again, they came back as red circle. Got it. Got it. Dark circle. But yeah, Thunder Agents, another, another kind of licensed book that was a tower comics book. That's why we don't hear about the Thunder Agents at DC anymore. (laughs) Right. But it was, I mean, it was popular enough to have two volumes. Like I think they, they had two, Two ten or twelve issue series, so and they were good. Something like so. that. He was a scientist, Doctor Anthony Dunn, back in the day, and learned how to basically project his uh, psyche, I guess, into an android body. And there were several of these other android bodies. So if that android body was killed, he could jump into another one. And they sort of suggest in this storyline that every time he had made a jump, he lost a little more of his humanity, which has led him to sort of become this sort of Dr. Manhattan kind of character. It doesn't help that the character is also blue. Spencer's writing, like I said, is just fantastic. And the back and forth. Stop. Okay. Slow down your editing there, Matt. Jesus. Yeah. I was. Uh, you can definitely hear the really editing, um, but you've gotten a lot better at it. <laughs> Not much actually happens in this issue outside of some flashbacks. The flashbacks are drawn by Howard Chaikin. And I got to say, I haven't enjoyed a lot of Chaikin's work in the last, 10 years or so, but he looks really good here. Not a lot happening here other than... Okay, stop. We still haven't been fans of Howard Jakin for a while. He's had a little rough time. I will say, looking back at this comic when I went back and read it... This, I read both of the comics, yeah. His Howard, the this Howard Jakin looked really good, actually. Like he's, No, I agree. He yeah. still had it, baby. It's not... Uh, you know, I will say that it's not so much that I... Uh, it's not so much the art. It's the content. Like, Howard Jakin has put out comics that I just don't care to read for a I don't time. care for his art anymore. But I think his art in general is pretty decent. If you say so. The, uh, I can't remember her name. I want to say it's Anne, I think, coming from the Thunder headquarters. Okay, stop. I love that. You can hear us turning pages. This is back when we read actual comics, Joe. <laughs> yeah, we're sitting, we're, we're, to set the stage, we are sitting at a folding table in the middle of Legend Comics. Right. On 52nd and 11, or on, well, if more like between 50 yeah, it was between 51st and, and 52nd it was like right in there right um it just like in the middle of the store yeah while keith watched the register uh, keith binder and we are sitting at that table looking into your mic we have scripts that were printed on paper yeah and we are actually looking at the comics as we talk about them. And, like, there's no better shopping experience than walking your comic shop and having Keith Binder shush you because two assholes are trying to record a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to interview No Man to try and get him back on the team. And this Colleen is her name. Pardon me. And the back and forth between okay, her. Stop. Yeah, and I can see how you make that mistake. Uh, and obviously I forgot because Colleen is my mother's name. Why would I remember that? <laughs> and No Man and these flashbacks to the 60s of what was going on with him sort of beginning to lose his humanity a little bit here and there. But a really, really great issue. More really strong art by Cafu or Kafu, as we said, who kind of reminds me of uh, a Gary Frank, a younger Gary Frank. Yeah. Very clean lined, sort of, uh, I don't know, almost a less cartoony Jim Lee, even in some Stop. of his, uh, his thin line work. Yeah. I- uh, a trend that continues to this day. 
THN reviews comics by comparing one artist to another instead of actually talking about the art stuff. What are we supposed to do? It's a visual medium and we you have a You talk about the art. Joe. You talk about the technique of the art. <laughs> instead, on. we're like, yeah, it kind of reminds me of Gary Frank. Now, it did remind me of Gary Frank. Totally. And I agree. Still today, it's very Gary Frank-esque. Oh, yeah. But, like, there's a way to talk about art where you talk about, you know, the quality of the line and the color and the depth and blah, blah, blah. But we just I feel like, like we do yeah, that more It reminds now. me of this other artist that I like. I think we do that more now. We, we try hard. We, we go out of our way. We don't necessarily have the vocabulary to do it. Right, because we dummies. I think Gary we, Frank we is a very out. appropriate comparison. Yeah, but I really enjoyed this issue. And so far, Thunder Agents has been a fantastic read. I'm going to give this one a strong buy it. Joe? I agree. Uh, I you think sound like that a chipmunk. this book is fantastic. I, I sound like a kid. Um, uh, the Gary Frank comparison is... And you sound like Louis Armstrong. Very, very good, and I did not think of that at all. The, um, the Trump what a wonderful world. I love uh, everything about this issue. The, the scene where he is jumping from body to body when the Thunder representative comes in is uh, funny. And Howard Chaikin's art is pretty nice. I have not enjoyed him much in recent times, but uh, he, he's got like a, a quality to his art these days that uh, seems very similar to kind of how Kyle Baker's art has evolved. Yeah. There I don't you know go. If it's You're doing it too. Coloring or electronic <laughs> I know. I get it. Finishing or something, but I agree. There's like an animation. By the way, I just said electronic coloring. <laughs> you do that a lot. You talk about digital effects as though digital effects is like. Something you can. No, but I didn't can, say digital. I said electronic. No, I know. You, it's like saying electronic mail, Grandpa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Feel to it. I'm very Kyle Baker. Um, but it's good. Uh, and there is a cliffhanger that uh, I didn't see coming. Um, the, though the that does kind of lead God. me to. Oh, don't act like they're gone. I edited them out. <laughs> I know you edited them out, but like you didn't edit any of them out in this. And um, I listened to this episode. I'm like, um, oh my God, I was three, really so we'll bad. <laughs> But with the exception of the last issue um, that dealt with the speedster character, um, we don't know anything about the team. The book focuses mainly on the represent the government representatives that are like the Wranglers. And uh, the majority of the cast are kind of like blank slates, and I don't feel like I know anything about them. So when the cliffhanger came, I was like... Well, that's interesting, but I don't really know anything about that guy to begin with. So, but it's only issue three, and um, I'm enjoying every minute of it. Uh, the second issue was gut wrenching. Yeah, really good. Um, really. Joe Patrick still gets off track to this day and talks about comics that we're not reviewing. <laughs> Look, man, I like to I like to digress. I, I think it's one of my stronger features. Really good stuff. Wait. And. I know that we weren't around to review that one, but we uh, haven't been born yet. We, yes. <laughs> but uh, I mean, if that's any indication of what's to come out of this book and uh, this writer, I am 100% on board. It's a buy it. Strong buy it from Joe yeah. Patrick as well. I agree with what you're saying with not really knowing what the team does. Stop. Uh, we are so serious. Why are we so serious? We're also like trying to be very polite to like we're doing a good job not talking over one another, yeah. which is something we I feel like we got over almost immediately. Well, also, I think it's like when you both have to lean into the microphone, it becomes very obvious who's going to talk right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like yeah. who Spider is, who's the bad guys, who I believe Spider. Oh, it stands for something ridiculous. 
And it's just great. Secret People's International Directorate for Extra Legal Revenue. That is I love it. Yeah, kill Secret People. Eat that shield. You know? <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah, that's just too good. Um, but, as far as what the good guys and the bad guys are doing, no, we don't know yet. I think, and that could be a danger for the book, too, because Spencer's building something really interesting here. But in the modern age of comic book retail sales, if you're not shipping, you know, within the top 100 each month, then your book could be going away. So I'm hoping yeah. DC gives him a chance to flesh this out. I think when he does, it's going to be a lot of fun. Stop. So I'm still we're still talking about sales today, and we don't even have good sales numbers anymore. Back then, we had I know. no sales numbers. I, I, you you have always you have always been obsessed with the idea that if a comic book is not in the top 100, it is doomed. And I have always argued against it. But they've but, always been canceled when they fall out of the top 100. But anyway. I think it, I think if you're talking about the big two, then yes. that, then it's a concern. Yeah. But if you're talking about indie comics, then let an indie comic no, be an course, indie comic. of course. Uh, I love that um, our... Uh, our um, Start over. Yeah, I know. I, I love how much uh, reviewing we're doing after the reviews have ended. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's also something we still do today, friend. Kind of, <laughs> okay. kind of, yeah. And I will say, there isn't another DC book being published right now that has this type tone to it. This right, very realistic, kind of edgy tone. And, and it's just wonderful. I'd love to see what Spencer could do with later on with a book like Detective, honestly. I know that Never sales got that are always job. a concern with a new title. This book has uh, at least a little bit of a built-in... Uh, attraction because it's based on an older property, but um, okay, Wally- stop the thunder agents, really, Joe. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Wally Wood is a celebrated creator. I mean, so I, I agree, but like Wally Wood did, you know, a lot of other stuff that people would say before the thunder agents, right? Name one thing. I don't know. Yeah, any of his EC work. I don't know. <laughs> Wood property, a Wally Wood property. Yeah, a beloved uh, artist. But um, if if national sales are anything like our sales here in town, uh, every issue has gone up. And uh, it, I don't know if it's based on Nick Spencer's name or if people are really latching on to the concept and the quality of the book. But if it continues to be this good and if sales continue to rise, this book's going to be around for a long time. Um, but I did want to make a, <laughs> a point. Um, I know Wally Wood uh, was a beloved a creator, and he did a lot of great work in his time. The no man costume is completely hideous. Oh, get out of here! No, I love it. I love it. Well, okay, stop. I still no, think it's no awful. It's I still terrible. think it kicks ass, and it's very close to Metamorpho colors. So you better just watch it, pal. You love Metamorpho. Yeah, I mean, okay, it's different, but okay. An orange oh, bodysuit yeah. and a purple hoodie. Oh, it's creepy. That's it's, why it's, no, it's contrasting it's, and creepy. It's oh, not like it. creepy. It and is. very sixties. It's fun. Yeah, it's, I like it. They updated all the other costumes, but not his. It's it's gross. Keep in mind, folks, this is also the same guy who thought Absence, the chick with the big hole in her head, was a good villain. Hey, I didn't I, say I, that I have no idea who that villain. is. Yeah, stop. I have no clue. But it's something in yep. it's something in Detective. I said that I did not hate Stupid. Paul Cornell's Batman and, and Robin. The, and the giant oh, scissors were dumb. Oh, As Batman a fill-in arc, this... Uh, we're not talking about that now. That's not our pick. It's time for us to move on. Joe, now it's your turn. What did you read this week? I picked BPRD Hell on Earth Gods number one of three from Dark Horse. That title is kind of a mouthful. Uh, it's written by Mike Mignola and John Arcudi. 
with art by Guy Davis and colors by Dave Stewart, who colors all the Hellboy uh, universe stuff. So this issue picks up right after the previous series, which was BPRD, Hell on Earth, New World. Um, And basically, the setup is uh, humanity is screwed. Um, The demons are invading. Monsters are everywhere. Volcanoes are erupting within the borders of the United States. Okay, stop. This was towards the end of BPRD, right? Like, no, BPRD Hell on Earth would continue for a while. Oh, no, that's right. That's right. This was the beginning. I mean, I'm not saying like forever and ever, but like. This is the beginning of the end, though, where they introduced the idea like, we're probably going to (laughs) lose. Hellboy, like, Hell on Earth is literally, it's after the apocalypse has happened. Like, humanity has lost. Yeah. And now it is hell on earth. Like demons are spilling out into, right. into reality. Like right. it's bad. It's not a great place, but I mean, consider like we actually reviewed, we were around to review the f- quote unquote final Hellboy comic, which was the end of the BPRD universe. And that was years later. Yeah. That's God. We've been doing this way too long. Pretty much. The entire uh, Texas city is right? yeah. Uh, in a bad way. People are scrambling to get out. Of Texas is still in a bad way today, so not a lot of change. Texas, because it is not a good place to be. This issue picks up with a group of transients, or well, the young people really that have kind of banded together to help each other get out of danger. And yeah, Joe, that's what transients. They're transients. That's what transients. Teenage means. girl named Phoenix. And I mean, today you still over overdefi- you overdefine sometimes. It's it's part of well, because I don't want you know, like I was trying hard not to say hobos because I didn't know if hobo was like a pejorative. I don't you know? think they're hobos because they were they're not like riding on trains. They didn't have like sticks with, but like, they were riding on trains. They yeah, were riding they the rails. Have, like, they didn't have the stick with the do rag and their belongings. They didn't have in it, bindles. You know? They're called bindles, man. <laughs> She's got psychic powers and she knows when the danger's coming. And not everybody she, believes she's psychic, though. Right, and um. They are just one step ahead of, like, the worst stuff. Like, she got him out of town before it was obliterated. She knows what's a safe place to hide out, what isn't, you know, that sort of thing. She is sick. We she don't know need, with what. Yeah, something terrible, I'm sure. They are trying to get her to go to some sort of doctor, but she refuses. And uh, not everybody in the group is satisfied with her leadership. And so there's a little bit of drama. Okay, stop. Yeah. You're nervous. I can hear you. You're nervous. Well, sure. You're super nervous. And I'm, and I'm well, it's ha- the first time we've first time doing this. It's adorable. I'm helping you. It's so cute. Constantly being <laughs> oh, attacked <shut> by <laughs> uh, security forces and, and the police that are trying to prevent people from. It seems almost like they're trying to prevent people from leaving. Um, or at the very least, they're trying to prevent people from. Hitching a ride where they're not well, supposed to I think to it's be. like they don't know if people are infected or what's going on. Yeah. So they're trying to keep everybody rounded up. Yeah, people are turning into monsters. It's, it's not a good scene. And so this issue deals with this group almost entirely. The BPRD doesn't show up in any way at all until the very last page. But the BPRD not being uh, in the issue at all is not a problem. I mean, these characters are engaging. I am very interested in the story of this girl and what her connection is to what's going on. Uh, I'm now that the BPRD has shown up, I want to know um, what they're going to do to respond to this situation. The art in this issue is phenomenal. Guy Davis has been drawing the BPRD comic since it started. Never stop loving Guy Davis. Uh, years Same. ago. 
and every issue is a treat. He's got such a unique style, and I just love it. He could draw anything, and uh, it, it it's deceptively simple. Um, it's Decept- pause, pause, <laughs> stop. First appearance of deceptively simple. <laughs> uh, earlier in the episode was the first appearance of that said. Yep. Uh, and uh, th- a, a phrase that was said so often that it led to a listener creating a THN drinking game. It's true. We came out fully formed. All this stuff, it's been with us forever. There's nothing we yeah, can do about yeah. it. We'll We've never always been shit. like this. It's kind of scratchy and loose, um, but his sense of design and uh, draftsmanship is just excellent. The colors uh, pop off the page. Guy Stewart knows how to set a mood. Dave and Stewart. The, there are no books on the stands. <laughs> Guy that Stewart can touch. The well, like, books I was talking about Guy Davis. Yes, back when Guy Davis teamed up with Guy Stewart. <laughs> and color. It's a couple of guys. I really, really enjoy it. The writing by Arcudi and Magnola uh, is great as always. The characters are dynamic. They each have their own voice. This uh, book pause. is about basically brand new characters. Stop. That. Uh, I just want you to prepare yourself for what I am about to say. This line of bullshit. This. This. Quilt of despair I am about to <laughs> stitch together when I talk about um, the writing of these two men. That we've only read, read about for the 22 pages, and I already want to know what happens to them. Except for that scruffy guy. I was kind of hoping he'd get eaten, but he didn't. Uh, sorry if that's a spoiler. <laughs> spoiler alert. Scruffy guy doesn't get eaten. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's a really good book. BPRD has... Uh, it's a series of mini series, um, but basically it's an ongoing title and it is one of the best books on the stand consistently. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I kind of prefer it to the Hellboy stuff, um, mainly because the Hellboy stuff seems so removed from what's going on in this, you know, corner of the comics universe. Uh, that's changing. BPRD is our uh, Hellboy is supposed to be coming back to the BPRD for now though. They're still on their own, and it is still great. I give it a buy it. Yeah, I totally agree, Joe, especially what you were saying about Guy Davis's art. There is nobody in the business right now that can draw dogs and monsters like uh, this guy. Stewart, and it's just it, his style. It's, <laughs> Stewart it's was a color. Dog monsters. Or dog monsters, for that matter. But yeah, he has a really strange, loose style that I usually don't care Stop. for. Stop. My loose style. I talk about loose. Loose is a, a yeah. We use that word loose as though it means anything when it comes to art. But quite honest, but there's something, and I can't even describe what it is in the way that he does it. But it's so visceral about the Ooh. way that he draws things. They look I've got great news. Gross. His monsters look fleshy Stop. and bulbous and, and wet. Uh, yeah. I don't really know how to describe it. Uh, is something we will say a lot. Oh yeah. Over the next twelve years. Um, perhaps starting a podcast was the wrong choice for us because we're not able to describe a lot of things. Well, that's like, look, even if when you watch like the guys that do know this stuff, like if you watch like Ed Pisker and, and Jim, uh, Jim rug show, Jim Rugg, they, yeah. they're smart enough to do a YouTube show where they just open a comic book and point to stuff, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sharp. And, yeah. They just look absolutely awful. And he's created such a great tone for this book and this universe. And it's probably because he's been with it for as long as he has. And it's great. I think Dark Horse is really good about keeping these artists on these properties so they maintain a feel. Whereas a lot of DC and Marvel books were getting short runs of six, 12 issues, yeah. and then boom, rotating creative, creative teams. teams. Yep. Yeah. I, 
Dark Horse does a wonderful job of maintaining this team. The writing is top notch. The art is excellent. I, I give it a, a buy it as well, and I'm really excited for this series. Yeah, there is no mistaking a Mignola book. I totally agree. And you know what I think it is? I think it's John Arcudi. I think John Arcudi is a stronger writer than Mignola. Because oh, shit, it's your fault, not mine. I stand by it. a little bit. I still stand by it. Arcudi came in and works with him, and God, they're great together. Yeah, Mignola is great for concept and um imagination the ideas pouring out of that guy's head are just got sick would keep a normal person <laughs> up at night i think yeah. i'm covering um, my mouth with my hand partially in the this, table uh, is the characterization humanity yeah um, definitely to a ridiculous situation i mean houston is blown up in a volcano with demons coming out of it yeah and somehow i care <laughs> about these people yeah and uh, this is just a, a really great story about people just trying to survive despite the fact that not only are there flesh-eating monsters out to get them? But they're also on the run from the cops who want to run them in because they are ruffians or perhaps they think that they're monsters, whatever. Or infected or whatever. But, all right, um, all right, all right. We ramble on and on and on about this for a while. So I feel it's funny going back and listening to this. We still review very much the same way. We, I, look, I will, give, I will give us credit for... For one specific thing, I think we are actually pretty good at writing reviews. I think so too. Yeah, because I, I, we're not we've trying to been, toot our own horn here or anything. It, it's not. I mean, but I mean, look, I, I'm just saying. I think it's one of our strengths. I because not only have we have we been reading comics forever, but it was our job to talk about comics right. nonstop every day for many, many, many years. Well, I think that was and the so, thing that set our comic shop apart. Cause there was plenty of comic shops in town where you could go in and no one would talk to you and you, yeah. and you could ask questions and you could like, there were people in town that ran comic shops that I would say like, Hey, I'm looking for that new Daredevil storyline. And they go, is that a comic book? And I'd be like, you work in a goddamn comic well, book look, store. Like, I don't mean to, like, no shade on, <laughs> uh, no shade on, uh, on any of the shops in town, but some stores, yes, they had comics, but mainly they were more popular for gaming. Sure. Whatever. And that's fine. That's fine. It, but that just means when you have to go to, uh, you know, Dragon's Lair, for a comic. Oh, now you're naming you names. <laughs> no, I don't mean, I, like, again, it's not a slight. I'm just saying right. that there's a chance that when you go because you missed an issue uh, at your at your regular shop that the person working might not be a comic fan. They might just be a gamer. Sure. And people came to our shop to listen to us jerks talk about comics. They right. Really and that's why, and that's why I, that's why I think that when we decided to start a podcast. 700 years ago. We, we yeah, we had the we had the talking about comics part down pat already. I think so. I think we and, and again, like, and we're not. I'm not trying. I hate this. Like yeah, we, man. We're so no, no, I mean, I'm not saying the execution was no, great, no, no. but I'm saying like our our ability to talk about a comic is pretty fully formed at this point. Yeah, our ability to be. Our ability to be, to be podcast hosts, however, we were bad. Is very much in its infancy. Yeah, the sound quality was terrible. We, we sound quality is terrible. Yeah, we, we, we were trying to be so careful too, because it's like this is back in the day where it's like, look, podcasts were around in 2011. They weren't brand new, but they were still. It was still relatively new, and I, there wasn't a lot of comic book podcasts out there at the time. And I think like what? our main I mean, idea was like. I just don't want to piss anybody off. What if somebody hears this and we piss them off? <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I can't say for sure when the first podcast was invented, but the iPod came out in 2007 and this, and our show came out in 2011. So that's four years. 
Um, so comic book podcasts had been around for a while, but yeah. not a decade, certainly no. not a decade. No. And, and, and the big popular ones at the time were a bunch of like talking heads screaming over each other. And I, that's kind of how we got started. I said, I want to do a show that I want to listen to because I kind of can't handle this other stuff. It's inside jokes. They're not talking about the stuff I want to hear about. And like, we just got, we started the tape and got right into it. I'm Joe. This well, is, I'm but Matt. we also had We're a, we had a plan. We had a structure, right? Yeah. We, you know, even though, even though we changed it a billion times in the last 12 years, 13 years, we, we started the show with a plan. It's like, we're going to do this, then we're going to do this, then yeah. we're going to do this, and then it's the end. And so we had an outline, we had a script, and we weren't just, we would ad lib and we would, you know, digress and go off the cuff, but the bulk of, the, of, the bulk of our content, we planned in advance, and we still do that today. We still have a lot of inside jokes, like we never got away from inside jokes. Sure. But we're better at it, I think. I think so. I think we're better at it. If only we could go back in time and explain to these two kids, there is no money in this, and there has to be something better you can be doing with your time. We'd probably—it's too be, late now, though. Like, we'd probably I mean, be rich and famous doing something else. Who knows? <laughs> it, it, it's too late now because, as we established, only a cannibalistic death pact will um, free us from this bondage. It's true. So, uh, yeah, listening back, it was a treat, though, for me to to listen back because. We were very enthusiastic and we're still very enthusiastic. Yeah. Like the, the only thing that, uh, things that have changed about what we do, we are better at it. And that's not tooting our own horn. That's just what happens when you do something over and over again. When you do it 700 times. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's like, you're bound to, you're bound to at least streamline your own bullshit. Right. right? Like you're going to get better at doing the thing that you decided to do, whether it's for good or for ill. And I think that, you know, our, our writing is stronger. Our, our, our sense of flow and what makes a good show is stronger. You know, I, I think that we had a rough start, but I think we've come a long way, baby. Just I, like Virginia Slim. I think we've improved by at least 25%. Joe Patrick, here's to another 700 episode. Lachaim. Lachaim. Come on, you gotta get the ha. Lachaim, Lachaim. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 700! Next week, the plain old Cosmic Longbox returns. Nothing to celebrate there, but it's going to force us to talk about back-issue comics based on a theme. In the meantime, check out our Nerd News Recap Show hitting your feed every Monday and join us for the THN Cover to Cover Gang Hang on Saturdays at 11 o'clock Central Time. You can check out our Discord for details. Joe Patrick, there's all kinds of other stuff they can do with the Discord. Tell them about it. Did we already do milestone issues or did we just do famous deaths and some of them happen to be milestone issues? I don't think we've done milestone issues. I think we should do Because we we did favorite deaths and I I know for sure like Superman 75, Amazing Spider-Man 400, those were milestone issues as well. No, but we should do 500s. I, no, no, not not 500s, but I think we should do all. An, uh, I think this week's Cosmic Long Box should be all milestone episodes. I love it. A milestone issue. I love it. Let's do it. Awesome. Are you looking for a new read? Have you got a question only a two-headed nerd can answer? Do you have got a 
hot take. Hot take. Sign up for our Discord with the link at twoheadednerd.com slash Discord, where we've got the channels for all of our segments. Or you can call the THN hotline 402-819-4894 and leave a message. You can also send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com, and we're going to put your ass on the show, just like we've been doing for seven Hundred years. It's true. I've just decided to give myself a yeah. I can tell. This week's question is courtesy of me, inspired by my inexplicable love for Man Mountain Marco, which I revealed in our most recent Cosmic Longbox episode. Who is your favorite superpowered character that did not adopt a costumed identity? Now, there's been some discussion on the Discord about the rules of this question. If they put on a costume at any point, uh, if they were a superhero and put on a costume, doesn't count. Jessica Jones, she was an Avenger. She was yep. Jewel. Doesn't count. An argument can be made for Luke Cage. Nah. Is his suit a co- is his suit a costume or is it just fashion? It's a costume, man. He's wearing he's wearing a crown. Come on. I say he's a super uh, he power man. It's like he was. Uh, yeah. Come on. But uniforms are not costumes. It's true. Unless they are Green Lanterns or Novas, because those guys are basically Right, right, right. Those are superhero costumes. You know what we're talking about. Yeah, right. Like, shield agents, those are not costumed identities. Those are shield agents. Like, John Constantine, just a guy in a... Bingo, bango. Yes, John Constantine is a great example. You know, come on. Please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. We've had to come up with a lot of our own lately, and we are... If you guys have learned nothing over the past 700 episodes... We are not that creative. Come on. <laughs> if you are new to the show, you wear a tiara to work every day, and it is part of your normal attire, and you think we're morons, I assure you you're wrong, and it's only because you just haven't heard enough. The good news is, you don't look very good in that tiara, and you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at nerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast, and it wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron, Jay Mindeman, coming on with episode seven. Yeah, I think that's like is it, that's like when you walk into a grocery store and you're the millionth customer right. or something. You, you get like confetti's coming down. Or well, something. that's like you like decide you're going to get in on a band on their farewell tour. You know, <laughs> like are they really going to be around that <laughs> much Congratulations, <longer>? you're the <laughs> lead singer of Queen. Unfortunately, everybody from Queen is dead. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. Even if we're not going to be around that much longer, we appreciate it. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. We promise to stop giving away content. Okay, you guys? Just for the record, we have no plans to go away, even though Matt keeps making allusions. 700, you could die at any time. I'm just saying, okay? It's a matter of time. uh, We're on the brink. We, we both signed DNRs. We got our forks and knives ready to go for the Sustainable Pact. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to you, our loyal league of listeners. Whether you've been with us since episode one or you're checking us out for the very first time, we literally could not have done any of this without you. Word to every single one of you. Thank you for helping us build a community that extends beyond a dumb podcast 
hosted by a couple of idiots like us. Now, it probably should be a YouTube show, but we weren't smart enough to do that. Matt, we're too old for YouTube. We are too we missed the YouTube bubble. We're too old. No, but the secret now is you just show, like show pictures of comics and nobody knows how old you are. No, like, I bet God, those guys I can't are imagine. I can't imagine listening to content that way. <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just point out that you have actually put out upwards of 950 episodes of this garbage. This yeah. is the two-headed nerd feeling old and a little exhausted and signing off. How did we see how did we get to 700 when we've done the 965 episodes? We renumbered at one point. That's <laughs> because we went to the Marvel College of Mathematics. Yes. We had to renumber to get people back on board. Brand new number one, all new, all different, exciting episode coming next.